everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Welcome. Today we are going to talk primarily about the fall of the House of Usher here right at the top, which is Mike Flanagan's most recent series. I think we're both huge fans. Uh, yes. Of Mr. Flanagan, so we uh, had to watch yes. it. Yes. <laughs> so we had to watch it, and actually Kathy had watched it first, and I frankly had a really hard time getting into it. The first episode kind of fell flat for me, and I was considering, and then she said, oh, we should talk about it on the show. It's really, really good. So then I forced myself, and then I'm glad I did. Good. Yeah, and then we're also going to discuss some other true crime actually, that we've been watching. So a bit of a mashup today. So let's start with The Fall of the House of Usher, which is a TV miniseries. It's 2023. It's really recent. It's a horror mystery, basically. Creator is Mike Flanagan. It stars Bruce Greenwood, Mary McDonald, Carla Gugino. I do not know if I spelled that. I mean, I, if I pronounced that correctly. I think it's Gugino. But, but she's great. She's great in everything well, she's been she in everything. Does. Yeah, she's been in everything he's made for yeah. TV, plus Gerald's Game, yep. plus Manhunter. She's been in a lot of great shit. This is eight hours of television, by the way, and it is a meal. It's uh, a story based on Edgar Allan Poe's short stories, basically. And each episode is a rendition of a story. And then there's an overarching story that's like succession-like. <laughs> to secure their fortune and future, two ruthless siblings build a family dynasty that begins to crumble when their heirs mysteriously die one by one. So you've got an overarching story where you're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with this family and why everyone's dying. And then within each episode, you have themes of different stories, which I thought was really do well done. It was really well done. And although there's a succession feel to it, um, there are, uh, it, it's much more enjoyable to watch because I think the characters are much deeper than in succession. And I think that you're also watching it knowing that there are, elements of the story that are missing where succession is just it's all laid out for you yeah it's and, a different different yeah. series this is a gothic horror drama right so it's, but uh, but as, as far as like those narcissistic types of families you know sometimes they're really hard to watch but if like you're if there's something else going on like in this where there's it's it's there's so many pieces missing that you're 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 unsure whether he does know what's hap has happened and he hasn't told us the audience yet or there, you know, th there's just a lot of holes there, which keeps you like sucked in. Yeah. And so when she's talking about Bruce Greenwood's character, who's the patriarch of this very wealthy family, and he is basically the narrator telling a story. And then we get into all of his kids and, and all of that stuff. And it's interesting because I, I agree with you in that it's different of course, it's different from Succession, but it's different in the sense that Poe's characters are often not forgivable or <laughs> you don't have a ton of empathy for Poe's characters in the stories. But in this, I think you can find empathy for certain characters, but that's really dependent on you, right? Like whether or not you feel yeah. connected or empathetic for any of them because they all do come off like many successful patriarchal type of families with a lot of success in this country, you know? And when you watch it all the way through, 
that could also change the way absolutely you see it on either way absolutely right? once you once you know what happens then it there's a there's a it moral could still question. be divisive yeah, yeah yeah it could still be divisive of what you think in the end mm-hmm. and the choices that were made Mark Hamill was also in this. Oh, and he's I so thought, good in it. I thought he did so great. His voice. I know. He's he's a really uh, important character in this, and he was great. He does. I mean, he's a voiceover actor for a reason, and he yeah. just completely changes his voice in this, and it's so much fun. He's awesome. Yeah. So I would say it's a huge recommend from both of us. You have to stick it out to the end, honestly, for that to be the case. So I would say that if you have trouble getting into it, I understand that. I had trouble getting into it. But what I would say is if you make it to the end of episode two and you don't want to go forward, then I completely understand. But there's some stuff that happens right at the end of episode two that might propel you forward for not necessarily the reasons where, of why you'd ultimately like it, but I think if you're a horror fan, you, you might, you know, be propelled to episode three and then you could probably keep going because I understand that it, yeah. it's a slow start. What I like about it too, I mean, I like Edgar Allan Poe, so maybe there there's some bias there, but I like that there's embedded, there's a lot of Easter eggs and things that are embedded from his other stories that he uses in House of Usher, which I, I think is fun. Mm-hmm. Carla Gugino plays this woman, Verna, who's this mysterious woman that is in the future and the past. Because the 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 way that the series is told is that the man playing Roderick Usher, who's the father, Bruce Greenwood in the present, Zach Guilford in the past, there's a lot of back and forth, which sometimes does not work. But in this, I think it works very well. Mm-hmm. At least it did for me. So yeah. she's consistent across all of that. And I think her character is a lot of fun. Yeah. The flashback and flash forward is probably what was kind of a little bit of exhausting in the first couple of episodes. And um, I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. I mean, Mike Flanagan's craft is always exceptional. So I I didn't have any problem with the atmosphere was interesting. I thought it was clever, but it didn't hook me, but then as it went, I definitely got into it. And certainly by the end, it's extremely solid. As far as Mike Flanagan's body of work in this kind of space, I would still say that The Haunting of Hill House, I mean, Midnight Mass is number one for me. That's really good. Midnight Mass is still number one for me. And then um, The Haunting of Hill House would probably still be number two. And then this would probably be number three. Okay. I liked Bly House. I liked that one a lot, actually. I know. I remember that you liked that one a lot. And I think mm-hmm. you said at the time, I think you said you liked it more than Hill House. So I know our ranking would be kind of slightly different. Yeah, I different. don't know. I'd have to reflect on that. I do. They're both at the top for me, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this is really solid, except for, like, I would watch Midnight Mass again. That's fair. I, I would, would, too. I would watch hill house again the only one i didn't like was midnight club yeah and i think that's probably most people's yeah like that's it would be an unpopular opinion to like that more than some of these because it was a ya thing as well and Mm -hmm. it didn't quite didn't quite come together even as movies like other things yeah hush is great gerald's great game is great yeah manhunter all 
Midnight Club was like, what? What happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just it just didn't quite. And I like YA stuff, so like, yeah, it's not because of no, that. No, it wasn't at all. It just I had a hard time. It, it didn't keep my attention like I wanted it to. It fell apart in the middle, and we yeah. have ta- and we did talk about that in yeah. one of our episodes. So. But I recommend this. I do too. I think the story updates to Poe's stuff is are more clever and pretty great. Like the updating, he's updating a lot of the context for Poe's stories. And if you're a Poe fan, when you're when you see the title of the episode, you kind of know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but the updates are so clever that I think it works. I've never hated Henry Thomas so much. He was so good in this. He really, really was. He, he, everything from his flamboyance to his narcissism mm-hmm. to he's never, I've never seen him in a character like this before. Very like psychopathic deviance, you know, like mm-hmm. th- he was just layered. I thought his performance was phenomenal. Really good. Yeah. The editing, the music. The direction, of course, the atmosphere, like it's all really, really solid. I've talked to others and they had a similar experience where the first couple, where the first episode was like, do I want to watch this? Do I not want to watch this? So I just want to tell people if you have that, you know, that, you know, some what common experience please 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 keep going because it really is solid. And if you're a fan of Mike Flanagan, just watch the thing. Yeah. (laughs) You can't make it happen. You can't go wrong. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what else did you watch? I watched uh, the series Love and Death. Okay. And well, let me tell you all what it's it's, it's based on. all, All of this is, you know, true crime we're talking about. The only one of the three that I'm talking about today, I do not believe is based on anything true. Mm-hmm. So this this called Love and Death is an American biographical crime drama. It was a television miniseries. It was written by David E. Kelly. It premiered this year. The series based on the true story of Candy Montgomery, which has been done before, right? I believe the show Candy with uh, Justin Timberlake's wife. What's her name? Anyway. <laughs> Jessica Beale. Thank you. Sorry. She has her own identity, folks. Uh, so Candy Montgomery, a housewife from Wiley, Texas. It centers around Montgomery, who's living a stereotypical housewife lifestyle in the late 1970s. She ends up having an affair with the neighbor's husband. They all go to church together. And Alan Gore is his name, and he's played by Jesse Plemons, who I just absolutely adore. (laughs) And I think, although he plays himself in this, because Jesse Plemons always seems to play Jesse Plemons, but he's adorable, and I think he's so good at what he does. Um, (laughs) And he's such a great pick, because Alan Gore plays this kind of sad, subdued, Guy, uh, Lily Rabe plays the wife who, um, her name in real life. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to think of what her name is. I'll get to it. Betty Gore. Yes. Thank you. So she plays uh, Betty Gore and they start an affair and it eventually leads to Candy murdering Betty in her home. And then there's a trial around culpability and one character versus another character what I love so much about this story, and it is based this is this is a true story, is that it really shows the the multi dimension and how how complex we are as human beings. It really does a good job at not, a lot of times when these are done, it makes you pick who you believe did it. Right. It makes you choose a side. 
You love and hate Betty. You love and hate Candy. You love and hate Alan Gore. And then what's his face from Almost Famous plays <laughs> Kenny Montgomery's husband. And okay. he's wonderful. Patrick Fugit. Oh, is ma- It's an all-star cast. Yeah. But the way that it's done and the multiple perspectives and then shot in the 70s. So it, it's really kind of cool visually. And then, you know, you don't have the cell phones, you don't have the cameras, you don't have all that stuff, right? Everything is about neighbors talking to each other and the way the church relationships are and the gossip and all this and knowing that it's a true story and that she was, she had to go to trial and in front of a jury of her peers, it's, you know, it's very easy to be like, well, she's the one who had the affair. It was jealousy and she just wanted to, and it is not that simple. Mm -mm. And they do a really good job at going, oh my God, whose side am I on in this? Which is good. Elizabeth Olsen plays Candy Montgomery and she is fucking phenomenal <laughs> in this role. So if y'all haven't seen this, I think it's really great. It came out this year. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. perfect. I look forward to it. I don't think, I'm not sure if I push play on the first episode or not, but I will, I will make sure. Luckily, my streaming services keep track of these it, things for me. <laughs> it builds. It really builds. I thought it was going to be just one of those series where you're like, okay, this is a true crime story and it's about an affair. And then this woman got jealous. It opens up, all the stuff starts to happen and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is complicated. Yeah. Humanity. Yes. I watched a movie, a documentary called Monster Inside, America's Most Extreme Haunted House. Oh, I saw that. I almost Hulu. watched that. Yeah. It follows the story of Russ McCamey, the Navy veteran turned master of horror who lures horror enthusiasts into his web. So this is about a freaking psychopath, honestly, <laughs> sociopath at least, who creates the... the this extreme haunt and did for years and then makes it very, very exclusive to do it. So you have to apply, you have to answer all these questions, you have to send him videos. And it became such a big deal that thousands and thousands of people were like applying to go and do his basically one-on-one experience of him giving you a horror house basically but it's not really a house it's really him torturing you for as long as he wants until you beg for him to stop and oh jesus the carrot is that oh if you survive this i'll give you x amount of dollars like 20 grand or whatever it was i don't even remember hundred thousand dollars i don't remember the number but so there's all this video and he would videotape all of it. So there's all this footage and they have interviews with him and they have interviews with some of his victims and cautionary tales and they have when it was shut down and when he had to move and when he where he started it up again and, and all of this. So it's called Monster Inside. America's most extreme haunted house. And you may have seen other documentaries or other stories on this, but it's actually, you know, if you're a horror fan, if you're a Halloween fan, if you're a true crime fan, because although I don't believe anybody ever died, everybody was kind of waiting for someone to die because of the things that he was making people do. It's only, you know, like 90 minutes long. So I I don't think I realized entirely that's what it was because I saw it on there. And I almost watched it, but now that real, that description makes me 
really want to watch it. Yeah, it's interesting. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hmm, okay. I watched a documentary that also just came out called JFK One Day in America. This has got to be one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. It's only three episodes and it's such a different telling. And it's unique because it involves the survivors who were there and employed by the family who had personal relationships with Jackie and John, uh, or Jack as they called him. They also had Lee Harvey Oswald's friend who drove him that day to the warehouse asking him, hey, what's in the box? And he said, oh, it's just uh, some piping. Right. So all the guilt that sits with this guy. Clint Hill was the self, the secret service agent who protected Jackie. What's so remarkable about the series is that it doesn't at all focus on the conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. It focuses on the relationships. We get inside information into who these folks were. There's live footage of them in their homes on vacations. Mm. It's told in black and white and color. The color is so clear that it mm-hmm. feels like you're watching it today. Wow. And the moment you think you're there with them, it flashes back to black and white. To remind you. To remind you. Technology. You feel so close, especially in a time where our country is so uh, divided, that there was a really beautiful feeling of unity when and, and how everyone in the country felt. Yeah after they had lost him and what this did to her. There is footage of Lyndon B. Johnson getting sworn in and going back and asking if Jackie wanted to be present for that and her coming back and saying, I need a few minutes, but I want to be there. They had one of the journalist commentators who's still alive. It was like, it's almost like there's very few Holocaust survivors, right? So getting to hear them is like just an honor. Mm-hmm. That's what this felt like. And gotcha. Clint Hill, he he reminded me of like when I watched Schindler's List and when Oscar Schindler said, I wish I could have done more. I should have saved more. Mm-hmm. There's so much guilt around the fact that he didn't stop the bullet, that he didn't, you know. So it's really like it just all the feels. All right. It's so, and it's quick. I, I, I'm re-watching it. Oh, yeah. Because it was like one of those where, and then it goes into, you know, Ruby's assassination of mm-hmm. Oswald, but there's, it's not the conspiracy shit. It's so personal. Yeah. And it's been being told in a time that there's so, it's our country's so divisive. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. It just, it was like a really, really sad yet very, it was very bittersweet and really remarkably done. Yeah, yeah, and the family members that talk to me about that time talk about that yeah, unity in the JFK times and how it was shattered. Yeah, and how many people really looked at at her as a leader, yeah, right? I really really recommend this. I believe it's on Hulu. 
Yeah, I looked yeah. it up while you were talking, and it is. It's, and it's a it's, pretty quick watch. It's also on Disney Plus. So. Oh, great. Yeah. And then I have one more. I don't know if you had anything I else. do have one okay, more. Okay, so go ahead. The next thing I wanted to share was I watched The Torso Killer Confessions in a stark oh, turn Christ. from JFK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the highfalutin times of the JFK times. The Torso Killer Confessions, which is on Hulu. 2023 it's three hours it's also three episodes that's sort of the new paradigm for these true crime docs is they do three episodes or they do five they like the odd numbers this year these these times and this is good so this delves into the decades-long journey of detective robert anzalotti as he works to bring justice to the cold case victims linked to the serial killer richard Cunningham, who was someone who tortured, raped, and killed women. So what is interesting or what I thought was good about this one is that the the majority of the interviews are with this detective, Robert Anzalotti, and he really talks about his many multiple year journey of becoming in a having a relationship with Richard who is in prison, but not copying to all these murders, not confessing. And so he goes about this relationship. It's much like many of the relationships we've seen with serial killers in the past that were depicted both real and fictional in series and in previous serial killers that we've talked about is this long, many, many years building a relationship. Like they would play cards. They would take him on outings to different places where they thought he might tell them some information. They would take him to his, their precinct and have him spend the night and, you know, give him things he wanted. And this, like the negotiation with a psychopath that happens to try to bring justice for families and figure out who he murdered and how, and then convict him for those things. So it's interesting in the sense that, of course, you get to the point where he confesses something and then there's this big scene where he gets really shamed. I won't give you the details if you okay. haven't seen it, but it's like it, he the Richard gets really shamed by this one experience and then he clams up again and won't give them anything. And then Robert's got to re-seduce him to try to get more information. So okay. you do go on a bit of a journey. And if you have any interest in psychopathy and an interest in knowing these kinds of personalities, it's interesting because a lot of the interviews with Robert to the camera, and then there are a lot, there's a lot of footage of, you know, police interviews. And then of course there's a lot of just like, uh, dramatization of course sure. of different things but it's pretty good and again it's only three episodes and it's pretty good i you know we've kind of recommitted to watching some more true crime docs yeah. we sort of took a minute yeah <laughs> we as we do from time to time and so now i'm just kind of getting back into it and so with fresh eyes i was like oh this is pretty good i mean it follows a very standard formula i'm not okay. saying it's unique but here's one little thing that shannon would like is that in the first episode, they talk they talk about Richard Kuklinski. Oh. Who's the Iceman yep. who was killing in the same area in Bergen County, New Jersey, at the same time that Richard Cottingham was, and they knew each other in prison. At one point, 
this guy, Robert Anzalotti, this detective, actually interviews Kuklinski about Cottingham. And there's some audio of that. And basically, Kuklinski hated this guy because he's like, who would want to do that to women? Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, Kuklinski <laughs> has killed hundreds and hundreds yeah, of people right. as a mob hitman. Yeah. But he was like, I hate that guy. Like, he's disgusting. He's depraved. And if you knew the depraved things that Kuklinski did, which you can go back and listen to the episodes we did on Kuklinski, <laughs> you would think that was amusing and sarcastic. But no, he's like he had, you know, anybody associated with mob. There's rules. Yeah. 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 And his rules were that you don't do disgusting, horrible well, things did. to women. That's what's so interesting about if, and if y'all haven't gone back to listen to Shannon's, how many episodes? That was like three or four episodes Something on him, like right? That, yeah. yeah. He's, he was an interesting character that way because he, he was very structured. Oh, very. In his psychopathy. <laughs> very, very. And, and it was kind of cool because Robert was, the detective was talking about his interviews with Kuklinski and how, what a, what an intimidating guy he was and even just sitting him with him and talking to him and asking him questions about Richard, you know, helped him with Richard because then he had some inside information because apparently Richard was running this whole gambling ring in prison and stuff. And so Kuklinski told him all about it. So it's just an interesting part of it for me because I always am interested in new things. I didn't yeah. know that that, uh, that pop up like after we pop do up. these yeah yep exactly so anyway i enjoyed it cool i did not enjoy the the last one i will talk about <laughs> uh it's a film it just came out on netflix netflix called reptile starring oh. Benicio del toro justin mm -hmm. timberlake matilda lutz mm -hmm. francis fisher and alicia silverstone i will say this Benicio. And Alicia Silverstone. They were good. I saw it too. They were the best part of the movie. Yeah. And I was really excited because Alicia Silverstone did that really bad shark movie a couple of years ago. She did. And I was like, God, don't tell me this is where her career has gone. She fucking kicked ass in this movie. She was she the was best great. part of it. I she think, was really good. I thought Benicio role. was really good. Well, he was, but I would the, say he's the best part. Well, he, <laughs> he's the center of the film. So let's hope mm -hmm. he is. Mm -hmm. But as a supporting role, she was great. Mm -hmm. So, the plot, Will Grady, played by Justin Timberlake, is a Scarborough real estate mogul dating an agent named Summer, played by Matilda Lutz. They flip foreclosures on expensive homes in the area under the watchful eye of Will's mom, Camille Francis Fisher, who's always great. And there seems to be some brewing tension in the relationship. One day, Will meets Summer at a house she's showing and finds her brutally murdered. Okay, great setup. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the worst performance in Justin Timberlake's acting career in my opinion i yeah. feel like he was terribly directed uh grant singer this is grant singer's project uh there's some some comments about how this is influenced by david fincher which is probably why i'm giving it two fucking fat thumbs down because i'm not a fan of fincher give or take like seven i like that movie mm -hmm. it just falls so stale for me there's mm -hmm. so much going on Benicio del Toro's character, he's always great, but he becomes somewhat of a wet blanket about 65% of the way in, in my opinion, that, that Alicia Silverstone's just really trying to keep his head up in all of this. Um, she, Justin Timberlake plays this very obvious, you know, depraved character that's trying to frame someone for something. Um, there's all this other conspiracy that ends up happening that they seemingly try to tie together, but it doesn't work for me. It essentially takes us nowhere. Um, the ending is evasive, although it's also obvious 
without ever really explaining it. So it's just, it's poorly put together. It runs slow. Benicio and Alicia are the best part of the movie, but I thought it was bad and I was looking forward to it. Yeah, I was looking forward to it too. It was meh. Yeah. Me. I was like, meh, yeah. meh. And that's kind of how the reviews were too. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like it got some solid reviews, but I think like based on performance, you know, the performance yeah, of the actors. And if you happen to be, if any of those people are your favorite or you like them, and I agree, Alicia did a, did a great job. You I know? just, you know, it's like they directed either he, either Justin Timberlake didn't know how to play serious because he's usually goofy and funny and light, and he's really good at that, mm. or he just was directed badly yeah but he was know. just flat and yeah one-dimensional and bleh. yeah he's just doesn't to me he's just not the kind of actor you want to direct to do less no you know like benicio he's a movie star yeah so he doing do less that. is like epic yeah because everything is so thick in his face right like you just there's so much nuance there's yeah. so much you can tell there's so much going on in his head and I didn't get that vibe from Justin in this movie, even though I really do actually like him. So. Yeah, she does. And Benicio does a really good job with what he's given. Yeah, I just yeah. think his character starts to get like. Yeah, the writing gets. Bleh. Bleh. <laughs> All right. So thanks, guys. We really very much appreciate you listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.